Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Mark chapter 15, 33 through 37. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him, comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Linnea Jane, pretty good there with your uh, Aramaic. Really nice. That's right. Good job, man. Good pronunciation. Hey, we are, can you believe it or not, in our sixth week of our summer series entitled, Did Jesus Really Say That? And uh, this week, we come to a passage of scripture that uh, most of us are familiar with. We, we read it or uh, we interact with it around um, Easter time. And it is a passage of scripture that recounts Jesus' crucifixion and his last words uh, on the cross. And now when I hear those words, when I hear Jesus, um, the Son of God, um, the second person of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-equal, co-powerful. And, and here we see Jesus on the cross, and in this moment of anguish, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it prompts me to ask Jesus, well, wait a minute. You're the God-man. Did, did, did you really say that? Did you really cry out to, to God the Heavenly Father? Why have you forsaken me? Well, he did. Yes, he did. And it matters, and, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, for some, they take those words that theologians through uh, the millennium now uh, have debated its meaning or its significance in the theology of atonement. Now, what does this exactly mean? What is this communicating? What were his intentions? And, and we are familiar, most of us are familiar with the teaching that, of course, at that moment when Christ died on the cross, he carried the weight of the sins of all people for all time. That he was the one sufficient sacrifice. Uh, and that his shedding of blood cleanses those who by faith receive him as Savior um, from their sin and that the weight of the sin and, and in the darkness of that moment, 
for the first time in, in eternity, um, there was a brokenness in, in the Godhead where God the Father turned away from His Son, a perfect and holy God, not looking upon the sin, our sin that was placed upon Him. And so that's an explanation that maybe most of you are familiar with. It's a pretty popular and uh, widely accepted explanation. But this morning, I don't want to talk about a theology of atonement. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to look at this from a different angle. I want to look from the angle of um, uh, a theology of, of suffering. Uh, the theological term for that is called theodicy, and it's really where is God in suffering? Where is God in suffering? And what does this mean for you and for me? As Jesus cried out these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does that mean for us? What's the connection between Jesus' suffering and our own suffering? Our own trials, the adversity, um, the failure we experience in our lives, the rejection, the anguish, the grief that we experience in life. What does all of this mean? What does it mean in our lives when we come to a place when when we feel separated or we feel that God is distant from us, that, that in the midst of our anguish, our agony, our pain, our suffering, our travail, our trial, our persecution, whatever it might be, in those moments in which we feel very, very alone and that God is very distant if He's present at all, what does this mean? What's the connection between Jesus and, and these, these words and our own life? I want to look at it from that angle today. Um, I'm reminded of being a child, and this is football season. Football was a very prominent um, thing in my life. I was raised by a single mom, and, and she was anxious to connect me with men and, and, and to get me in organized sports where I would learn, uh, uh, learn just to work as a team be around other guys, have males that could be a mentor for me. So she put me into youth football. And I played years of youth football, then into high school and even into two years of college. And so football was a very significant thing in my life. But I remember as a child, sixth grade, playing youth football, um, we would have practice a couple nights a week. It'd usually be after dinner. Um, my mom would drop me off. Uh, at the sports field, and we would practice. And I can't remember the exact times, but I know it would be until it was after dark. And then um, the lights were on, and we'd finish practice with the lights. And then the parents would come and pick up um, their sons. And uh, I cannot think of a single time that I wasn't the last boy picked up. Um, my mom was a busy single parent. She worked hard all day. She came home. She prepared dinner. And there were times when she just laid down on the couch and she was out. And I can remember being there at the football field and uh, it getting darker and darker and the bank of lights wouldn't go out all at once. They just would slowly dim. 
and then eventually there'd be very little light and then it would just be completely dark. And uh, I would judge kind of the time of how late my mom was by the brightness of the lights, right? But I remember there were a couple times when the lights would go out and I'd be literally standing in front of the field or sitting on the curb waiting for my mom. And it was dark and I was alone. And I was wondering, did she forget about me? Where is she? Is everything okay? Why isn't she here? And as you sit in the darkness and there's the unknown, your mind goes to all kinds of places, doesn't it? And I can remember that very distinctly uh, as a kid, sitting there waiting for my mom to, to show up, waiting in the darkness and feeling very much alone. And, uh, you know, there have been times in my life uh, when I would describe my relationship with God in the same way. And I don't know if you can or not, or you can relate to that, but it's like being that little boy waiting for your parent to show up. And things seem to be getting darker and darker and darker and the lights are, are fading and dimming and eventually they go out and you're sitting alone in the darkness and you're wondering, where's God? When are you going to show up? Where are you? And uh, in, that, in that time of, of waiting, there can be great agony. There can be a lot of uncertainty. There can be fear and dread. There can be a sense of aloneness. And I dare say, sitting alone in the dark of life, waiting for God to show up, there can be a great deal of anguish too, can't there? I remember that. I remember it very, very clearly. And I think back about times in my life where that was true in my relationship with God. Or in the moment of brokenness, a moment of grief, a moment of rejection or fear, or you can fill in the blank. Those words bring a heaviness, don't they? Or it just seemed like I'm just sitting in the dark alone waiting for God to show up saying, God, where are you? And maybe I didn't say it the way Jesus did when he was on the cross, but what my heart is feeling is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm crying out and, and you're not there. If you are, you certainly haven't made your presence known. Can any of you relate to that? I know I can. And, and um, I remember when I first came to faith in Christ, at least an active, vibrant, alive faith, and started going to church for the very first time. Um, I went to a, a church that was not unlike our own. And uh, having never had that experience going to a Protestant evangelical church. And uh, I show up and everybody's saying, praise God! Right? And the, the, the head of the leadership team, you'd walk up to him and say, hi, Mr. Smith. How are you? And he'd look at you and say, adequately challenged. No matter how many times I asked him, he'd always say, adequately challenged. And so I began to, to get this sense that 
that Christianity and church is a place where everyone's always praising the Lord and they're adequately challenged. And that must be the Christian life. Or they talk to each other in this, this Bible code. They quote chapter and verse back and forth at each other. Right? And I'm thinking, man, what a strange place this is. But I guess this is where I'm supposed to be because I love Jesus and I want to follow Him. And it seemed odd and awkward. And, and coming from my background, you know, the little kid that felt kicked to the curb that was waiting in the dark for his mom to show up, the, the kid that grew up in the broken home, the single parent home, the kid that, broke, that grew up in the home where there was um, just a lot of chaos, the kid that grew up in the home with a mom with a terminal illness and so on and so forth, the dad who went to prison. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a long story. But we all have our story, don't we? When I first started going to church, I, I kind of felt like, is this a place for me? Because there is a lot of stuff, brokenness in my life. And I couldn't put it into those words then, but I understand it now. There was a lot of lament. A lot of lament in my life when I first started going to church. And it seemed like everyone around me were just these people that were praising the Lord and lived their life adequately challenged. But that isn't where I was at. Okay? That wasn't my life experience. And and to be really honest with you, I, I wondered if church was a place for me. I wondered if I would be welcome there. I, I wasn't very um, forthcoming with my story. I was afraid that people might look at me and think there was something wrong with me, that I was broken or damaged goods, or even worse yet, that they would placate me or, or patronize me or feel sorry for me. And I remember for years, even after I decided to go into the ministry and went on staff at a church and all those things, still feeling and wondering as if there was really a place for my brokenness, for my lament. And was I the only one? Even though inside I knew I wasn't, I couldn't be. But that's how I felt. Um, you know, we live as Christians uh, in this triumphalism. And that's a good thing. We, we know that Jesus conquered sin and its penalty death on the cross. And, and we know that we have forgiveness of sin and new life. And we know that Christ is Christus victor, right? He's Christ the victor. And we share in his victory. And that is triumphal. And that's celebratory. And we should do that. But if you look into our hymnals or you look at the sermons that are preached, and I'm guilty of it, oftentimes we gloss over the lament, the brokenness, the heartache, and we talk about the triumph and the victory and, and, and all the good stuff which is very real. And yet, as we hear the words of Jesus today, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It causes me to ask this question. Where is God when we are facing the worst that life has to offer? Where is God when we're facing 
the worst that life has to offer. You know, one of the most disappointing things as a pastor um, who loves and, and wants to shepherd his flock is when hurting broken people, rather than coming to church, rather than seeking care and comfort and encouragement and nurture and hope and healing and wholeness that, that Christ makes present in the church, rather than coming, it seems like in those times of fearfulness or of brokenness or of failure or those times of inner turmoil and agony and adversity and persecution and trial, rather than coming into the church, they separate from the church. And that breaks my heart. Because the church is a place for brokenness. The church is a place for lament. And if we at Community Covenant are going to live out our mission of bringing Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and world, we have to allow that to be present in our own lives. And the only way that we can allow that to be present in our own life is if we're transparent and authentic and just say, you know what, I'm a broken person. And I may stand up here every Sunday and you might say, hey, Pastor Todd, you know, he's got it all together. Those who know me know I don't. But here's the truth. The truth is a lot of the time I'm that little boy in the dark after football practice waiting and wondering if my mom's going to show up. I still deal with that. That's still very real in my life. But I can also tell you that Christ is very real too. And I can also tell you that Christ has shown up. And that he is doing a work of bringing hope and healing and wholeness into my life as I pray he is in yours. But you know what? I'm going to be really honest with you. That work's going to be ongoing the rest of my life. It is. As much as I'd like it to be over with. It is in a sense... Right? Christ the victor. And I share in that. And yet it's the working of that out every day in my life. But one day, that work will be complete. And I look forward to that so very, very much. And so I ask the question, where is God when we're facing the worst that life has to offer? I think of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. I love these words. For we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. That comes from the message. And so when I think of the Lord on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think of God who loved me so much that he came and he suffered the fullness of, of, of all the junk that humanity has to offer so that he can say, I've been there. 
I know exactly how you're feeling. I'm not so distant and detached. But I'm very present and I'm very aware and I'm here for you. Even when it doesn't feel like it. And because I've experienced it too, I can come to your aid and I can be the one in your life that shows up when you're sitting on the curb and all the lights have gone out and you're feeling really, really alone. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate to us. I think of Mark's gospel earlier. Mark 14, 33-35, He took Peter, James, and John along with Him and He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, He said. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but He was also fully human. And He was overwhelmed to the point of death. Deeply distressed and troubled. And then going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, the hour might pass from him. If we read in Luke's account, it goes on to say this in Luke twenty-two forty-four, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then we read the quote, and it comes from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 2, but Psalm 22, 1. And this is what Jesus is quoting. It's a a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. That's the psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross. Keep that in your mind. We'll come back to that. As we look into the scriptures, we look at lamentations, we look at psalms, we look at the book of Job. And what we find there is lament. Those books are are full of lament. They're they're full of the reality of life. When things don't go the way you hoped or expect, when it seems like God hasn't showed up or if He's near, He hasn't made Himself known. Um, Theologian Walter Brueggemann calls this the counter-testimony. And he says the reason it's in the Bible is to balance the Bible so that as we read it and encounter it, We can say this is a book about real life. It's just not a book about triumphalism and and people that are praising the Lord and saying, I'm adequately challenged. That there's more to life than that. And that your pain, and that your anguish, and that your brokenness is not only real, it's not only present, but it's welcomed by God. And he himself, in the form of the God-man Jesus, experienced it too. So he would be fully equipped and able to come to our aid when we're experiencing it. There are three types of psalms that you come across. 
In the 150 Psalms, there's three types. The first type is, everything is fine, God is great, stay the course. That's what I thought Christianity was all about. I didn't understand there was a place for lament or brokenness. Because of that, I didn't feel like I'd be fully accepted if people really knew about the little boy sitting on the curb in the dark. The second kind of psalm is this. Things are terribly wrong and I'm at the end of my rope, but thank you, Lord, for coming to my rescue. In other words, hey, things are really bad, but I'm at the end of my rope, but thank you, God, I know you're going to come and you're going to rescue me. That's the second kind of psalm. But then there's a third psalm. And and these are the minority of psalms, and yet they're very present. And the third kind of psalm is this. Things are terribly wrong. I'm at the end of my rope. And to make things worse, Lord, you are nowhere to be found. That's that counter-testimony that Brueggemann talks about. A psalm like that would be Psalm 88. Psalm 88 begins this way, Lord, you are my God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I feel overwhelmed with trouble. My life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. And like the other two kinds of psalms where things get better, this one ends, if you read on, with this tension unresolved. God, where are you? How come you haven't showed up? And the psalm ends and God hasn't showed up. Why is that there? It's there to assure us that like Jesus in those final moments on the cross in our humanity regardless of the fact that God is present He is there and He does care there are times when we just feel alone alone and outside of his reach. And yet Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Because the truth is, we may feel forsaken. We may feel abandoned. We may feel like we're suffering or in anguish alone and in our lament that nobody knows or nobody cares. We may feel that way. But the truth is, God is near. God is present. And that the theology, not of atonement, but the theology of the suffering servant tells me that Christ, the one who suffers, enters into our suffering. And we enter into His And that that is a holy mystery that joins us and unites us and is a part of our union with Him. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
Theologian Peter N. says these words. Trust is not for the weak. It's the excruciating option, especially if you feel God has let you down. But it's the option for the life of faith, and there's no getting around it. Trust takes full surrender and courage all at the same time. Hebrews 11.1. Perhaps you're familiar with this verse. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this morning I want to offer assurance to you. Maybe you're crying out the words of Jesus on the cross or you feel like that little boy sitting on the curb in the dark. And you look and God's nowhere to be found. I want to assure you that he's very, very present. And I want to assure you he knows and he understands. Jesus' words crying out in anguish at the cross assure me of that truth. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This morning, if your spirit is crushed, your rescue is near. Your rescue is near. Thomas Merton wrote this prayer. It's a prayer I want to close with today, but as I close, I want to invite you to go back to the cross. If there's something you want to share, if there's a lament, I want you to know that it's welcome here. It's welcome. And that Jesus wants to meet you in the place that he himself has been. And he's more than able to work and to to touch your life in a place. Those secret places, those hard places, those places that continue to be broken and wounded. He's more than able. Your lament is welcome. There are those back at the prayer station who are wanting to pray with you, to give you encouragement, to walk with you. Because Community Covenant Church is not a place of the beautiful people. It's a place where broken people encounter Christ in the reality, all the reality of their life. And they encounter His hope and His healing and His wholeness. Because he is a beautiful God who comes and he does rescue. So I'm going to read this prayer from Merton. I'd just like you just to listen. Maybe close your eyes. Listen to the words. Make it your own prayer. And as I read this, the worship team will be coming up. And preparing to continue in worship. So let's bow our heads and let's listen to the words of this prayer. My Lord, my God. I have no idea of where I am going. 
I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I'm following your will does not mean that I actually am doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. My God, my God. Thank you, Jesus, that you understand and that you're present with me. Amen.